we have been over the last few months in the book of Acts, and it has been an incredible journey. Uh, one thing that has really stood out to me over our time in the book of Acts is that re- really there is never a dull moment in following after Jesus. Um, throughout the book of Acts, we, uh, we come into contact with what it looks like uh, when, when believers, people who are following Jesus, live out his mission uh, on earth. Uh, we pick up the book of Acts. It kind of begins um, with this incredible moment where Jesus has uh, lived his life, his uh, 33 years on planet earth. Uh, he had three years of ministry where he would uh, teach and heal the sick and uh, raise the dead and all kinds of amazing things uh, that he did throughout his ministry and really proclaim that the kingdom of God uh, had arrived and that in him that we could find eternal life. So Jesus had spent three years uh, doing ministry and and that three years um, ended in uh, his crucifixion uh, on the cross, which is not how I'm planning to end my ministry career. Um, But uh, Jesus Jesus steps into uh, this moment with his followers after dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead, which is way awesome. And, And I do mean that's awesome. Like, just think about that for one second. Jesus raised from the dead. That's a really big deal. I submit if you believe that today, that that should change something about your life and you might want to think about reorienting your life around that fact. In fact, we know that that human history itself has been oriented around the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, our very calendar, the fact that it's 2015 uh, today, we are oriented around the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so this moment in history, as the book of Acts opens up, is a pretty incredible moment. So uh, if, if you've been traveling with us for the last few months, this will be a great refresher. If you're kind of new to the story of Acts as we travel through it here at Mosaic, this will help. So we're going to grab our Bibles and jump right in. And, and, and for a refresher, we're going to go back to this first moment in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start off tonight, and then we will pick up our story in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 1, if you were using the beautiful blue Bibles uh, that are under your seats, that's going to be page uh, 591, Acts chapter 1. If you've got your uh, smartphone, it probably won't be on a page number. Uh, Just look it up, Google. Google is the best Bible search in the world. If you're ever just wondering, how do I search, just use Google. It's fantastic. Uh, redemptive uses for the internet. It's good. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to uh, give his mission um, to his disciples, his followers, the people who had put their faith and trust and belief in him. And we find uh, this beautiful articulation of the mission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling his disciples that you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And and we sit here in Oakland, Florida today as recipients of the obedience to this mission. Do you guys understand that we are the ends of the earth? That if your perspective in in, uh, the first century AD, 
If your perspective is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of, uh, the, ends of the earth, Oakland, Florida counts as the ends of the earth. And so we sit here today, thankfully, because of the obedience to this command from Jesus' disciples, that he gave them the opportunity and the invitation to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, Judea, which was the surrounding area, Samaria, which was the place they hated the most, and the ends of the earth, which was the place that probably would have been the most frightening. And we, 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 as we track with the book of Acts and we track with the unfolding story of the New Testament church, we find that they are incredibly obedient to this call. And it's a beautiful thing that unfolds. And there's never a dull moment. There are two things that Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that, that we want to key in on tonight as we jump into our, uh, our time tonight. That we are called to be his witnesses. But we can't do that in our own power. What does Jesus say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The word witness gives us a, gives us a bit of a clue as to why we need the Holy Spirit's power. The word witness in Greek, we learned uh, from Renault as we jumped into Acts uh, together. The word witness is the word martus in Greek. Does that sound like a familiar word to you? If English is not your forte, that's okay. Uh, martus is very similar to the word martyr. And we know that many of the people who would have uh, been a part of this early church were actually martyred for the sake of the good news of the gospel to go forth into all the earth. They were literally a fulfillment of this passage. And we continue in that tradition. We continue in that mission. We continue in that calling. And as we've been traveling through the book of Acts, it's been a really big uh, blessing to my life because I've recognized that following Jesus and living out his mission, it's going to be really, really interesting. There's going to be moments of great elation and great excitement and pure joy and victory. There's going to be moments of, of hardship and difficulty, that feeling of being the martyrs, right? And there's kind of everything in between, and we're going to jump into uh, the book of Acts chapter 16 tonight, and we're going to kind of pick up on this incredible story as Paul, uh, who was one of the greatest opponents to Christianity, after he met Jesus, became one of the greatest missionaries for Christianity. We follow his story uh, with a couple of guys that he's rolling with. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 16 together. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is found on page 601 of the Mosaic Bibles. Acts chapter 16. Uh, we are picking up the story. Last week, Renault uh, shared with us this incredible uh, journey that, that happened as Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke meet up in Philippi. And Philippi was this uh, Roman city. It was an incredibly, uh, incredibly key city, but it was very Roman. A lot of uh, Paul's ministry up to this point had been in more Jewish type areas, but this was a very Roman city, the city of Philippi. And Philippi, uh, as, as they showed up, they kind of recognized that there wasn't much of a Jewish presence there. Their, their typical uh, pattern of finding the nearest synagogue and preaching about Jesus at that Jewish synagogue wasn't really the strategy in Philippi. 
Philippi. Instead, they kind of heard about this Bible study that was going on outside of the city in Philippi. And, uh, and there were some ladies that, that, that were there that were kind of, uh, not really, not a Bible study, more of like a prayer meeting. They were out there kind of at this place of prayer and, and they, they believed in the God of Israel. They, they believed in who he was. And so they were kind of gathered together uh, praying to him. And, and, and so Paul shows up on the scene and begins to explain to the people at that prayer meeting uh, the, the reality and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the God of Israel, the God that created all things, heaven and earth, sent Jesus to come and rescue us from the, from the depravity and sinfulness of our own humanity. And so Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke show up and share the gospel with this woman named Lydia. And Lydia, she had a very uh, successful business. She was uh, in the um, purple dye trade, which was really key at that time. Um, I'm glad purple is not, uh, you know, the, the, the main way to gain uh, riches at this point in time. And if you're wearing purple, I apologize uh, for that. But, you know, the reality is, is at this time, uh, that was an incredibly uh, important color. It was kind of a signifying royalty. Sorry guys. Uh, it was signifying royalty. It was this incredible thing that if you uh, were wearing purple, you were royal. So, so think king and queen over there. It's great. Matchy, matchy. I love that story. Um, so, so Paul encounters this woman, Lydia, who's very successful in her trade because she's dealing in this color that's a lucrative thing. And as they share the gospel with her, she, she embraces the gospel with a full and glad heart, invites Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to stay with them and begins hosting the church in Philippi in her home. So for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, this was an incredibly successful moment in their mission because they experienced uh, the sharing of the gospel and the fact that it was received regardless of whatever it may have cost Lydia. Lydia, she could have lost her business. She could have lost credibility in her city because uh, because she didn't care about any of that and embraced the gospel, that would have felt like a very uh, successful experience for Paul and his team. And so we, we kind of see the, the, the victory of the living on mission, and we kind of experience that. And as we continue on in the story, we get to experience uh, some other things. Let's see what happens in Acts chapter 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Luke is writing, and he's saying, As we were going to the place of prayer... Where we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and, she, and, and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, we mentioned at the beginning of our time together that as we follow Jesus and we live on mission, there's great victory and there's great hardship and there's never a dull moment. Well, this was one of those interesting moments. As Paul and his crew are running around, they're sharing the gospel, some demon-possessed lady is screaming out in the midst of them preaching the gospel, hey, these guys are, are from the, the most high God and they're proclaiming the way of salvation. Now, on the onset, that kind of looks like, well, I, I, I guess that's a good thing, right? Because they are saying good and true. She is saying good and true things about Paul and about his team, that they are servants of the most high God and they're proclaiming the way of salvation. That seems like a pretty positive thing. 
The issue is this woman was a fortune teller that the, the city of Philippi would have been familiar with, would have recognized that her powers were not exactly, uh, you know, light. They were part of the dark side, if you will. If only you knew the power, right? So that's my, like, that may have been the worst Darth Vader impression <laughs> you have ever experienced. You're welcome. But, uh, but they all realize like, man, you know, this lady, though she's saying the truth, this is becoming very frustrating. Another thing to understand about the city of Philippi is it was a very polytheistic society. They believed in the God of Zeus. They, they believed in all these, these, the God Zeus, all these different gods uh, from the, the kind of the Roman culture. This was a very secular society uh, that, that was very polytheistic. And so it would have been very easy for her message to bring a lack of clarity, even a confusion to what Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were trying to accomplish in Philippi. Because the reality is in a society like that, you can't just say God loves you and he came for you to die for your sins. Which God? What's his name? What's he like? Who? Who? Who are you talking about? Why did he need to do that? The, the gospel in a society like this would have been incredibly important to, to clearly articulate and to clearly lay out. And for this woman to be following them around and proclaiming random things, though they may be true, by the power of a demon, it wasn't exactly a helpful reality for Paul. So Paul becomes frustrated, which I love uh, the humanity that, that is there, right? Because a lot of times as we try to live our mission out as followers of Jesus, it can be frustrating. And a lot of times the, the great amount of frustration that we will experience, the source of that frustration is people. See, Christianity would be super easy if we were the only human beings on earth. You understand? It's like, you know, you're not even praying for patience. What do you need patience for? It's awesome, right? You're just the only person. You may be lonely, but it's very easy. I mean, it's like, you know, covet thy neighbor's house. There is no neighbor. They're all my house. This is super easy, right? But what, what, what Paul does in that moment is he sees past the, the annoyment of, of, of that experience, the annoyance of that experience. He sees past that and he, he recognizes that what's going on isn't, isn't a thing of flesh and blood, that it was spiritual, that, it, that his, his war, his battle wasn't against flesh and blood. I want you guys to real quick page over to 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's page 629. This is Paul and he's writing to the church in, in Corinth. And he says something that I think is incredibly important for us to grasp. He says uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy Strongholds. I, I think it's so easy as we desire to live on mission for Jesus to see the things that are, are hindering our living out of this mission. It's so easy for us to see them in, in the natural. The, the natural frustrations of this life. The natural realities that exist in people in our circles of influence. As we try to live out our mission for Jesus and have a marriage that honors God, oftentimes we can look at our spouse and say, you and your flesh 
are the enemy of my mission to follow Jesus. And those of you who are married said, amen, right? It is so easy for us to kind of look at one another and recognize the issues that are going on in our lives. And those issues come not from necessarily what is seen, but often what is unseen. And our enemy is never the person that that we're looking at. Do you guys understand that your enemy is not your spouse, is not your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or your brother or your sister or your coworker or your neighbor? Your enemy is Satan, and he desires to derail you from your mission to follow Jesus. And God is calling us to see beyond the flesh and blood of our problems and recognize that there is given to us a power. Remember Acts chapter 1-8? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. And God is demonstrating to us through this story that there is a, an incredible amount of power that we have, not of our own, but through the power that lives within us to fulfill his mission, whatever may come our way, even if it is a Deep, dark, demonic stronghold. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, and what Paul demonstrates to us in this moment as he casts this demon out of this, this poor slave girl who had been bound is that so often the, the, the things that we see are only just a little bit. The surface is not, it's not always the issue or the problem. So often it goes deeper than that. And Paul sees beyond the surface, steps into this girl's life, casts this demon out. And we see that, the, that Paul's mission is able to continue. But it gets worse really fast. Acts 16 verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. The reality is the world has a lot to gain from the systems of the world. When we stand up against those things, do you think people are going to be really, really excited about that? Do you think as Brandon and Natasha Butler fight human trafficking in Cambodia, That everyone in their society and culture who's making money from the prostitutes there, many of them young women, even children, do you think that those people are going to be excited about the mission of Jesus unfolding on this planet to set the captives free? See, there's great gain to be had through wickedness. And what Paul and Silas are about to experience is the the reaction from the world when the gospel steps in and offends our sensibilities. When the gospel steps in and offends our profitability. Often there is great persecution that will follow. Verse 20, it says, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate Customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Namely, 
the main custom was that Jesus was the one true God, not Caesar. And if you're a Roman, that is quite the disturbance. Uh, and that is an unlawful custom for you to practice, to, to worship Jesus instead of Caesar. Verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them. They ripped their clothes off and gave orders to beat them with rods. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Philippi, and the ends of the earth. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. As Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke step into the city of Philippi, they're, they're met with this great moment of victory as the gospel is preached to the woman Lydia. And as she and her household turned to Jesus and began hosting the church in their home, there must have been an incredible amount of enjoyment. I mean, that's a pretty awesome experience. That's the kind of stuff here at Mosaic we celebrate when we do baptism. We celebrate the joy of seeing someone's heart turn towards Christ. And that is an awesome, fun, and wonderful experience. But the mission of God doesn't only contain those kinds of victories. The mission of God contains obedience. And when we obey Jesus, often people don't respond well to that obedience. And so we can expect that the ebb and flow of mission will be great victories and great miracles like Lydia. But persecution, like the experience with this slave girl and the retribution of the crowd. See, our mission on this planet, it's, it's not easy. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. See, victory is fun and easy to celebrate. And truthfully, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to experience victory. But how do we endure persecution? How do we endure when people don't accept who we are and what we have to say? How do we experience that in our culture, in our workplace? How do we endure when people hear that we're Christians and they begin to treat us in a very different way as a result? I used to work in the car business, which should concern you since I'm currently preaching to you. You should just think about that for a second. Now, not all car salesmen are, are uh, liars and thieves, um, just most of them. Uh, but in, in the car business, I, I had uh, just kind of recently become a Christian and started working in the car business. And as uh, my coworkers would interact with me, you could tell that they were really um, were curious uh, with my faith and who I was and why I was the way that I was. But for the most part, they, they were offended. That their sensibility of, of what sales should look like was was not something that I could really grab a hold to and embrace as a, as a follower of Jesus. And because I chose to do things in a different way, that, that met quite a bit of, of frustration on their part. 
And there were times where they would ridicule me, mock me, and call me names. And the reality is, I look back on that time and I think, Jesus, what, what a privilege that you would call me into that space to be a light in the darkness. You know, we need more Christians selling cars. We need more Christians in politics. We need more Christians in the hospitals. We need more Christians in the police force. We need more Christians in the public school system. And we, we need more Christians that are living out the gospel in a dark place, regardless of what it costs. See, you and I, we, we can come in a place like this and safely sing about the love of God. But it's meant to go beyond the four walls of this auditorium. The Apostle Paul, after this experience in Philippi, some years later, he wrote a letter to the Philippians. As years would go by, that little church that started in Lydia's house began to grow and become this beautiful expression of the gospel, this beautiful expression of God's mission to reach lost people. I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, you'll find it on page 636. This is late in the Apostle Paul's life. He's actually nearing his death. He senses that, knows that. He's, uh, church history tells us that he was martyred in a Roman Colosseum. And he writes this letter to the people in Philippi. In chapter 2, verse 1, he encourages them in their mission. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Your mission is not about you. Doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Boy, doesn't that take a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is about to do is unpack for us the model by which we can live out this mission, though it may be horrifically difficult. He points us to Jesus and says, hey, have this mind among you. Be like Jesus. And this is what Jesus was like. Verse 6, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, though he was completely omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, absolutely unhindered uh, by any kind of constraint whatsoever, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped or held on to. Verse 7, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. God became Man. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. It is an incredibly beautiful truth. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you want to know what it looks like to be obedient to the mission of God? Look at Jesus. See, the people that Paul is writing to, they became obedient to the mission of God as they considered Jesus. And guess what? Here we are in Oakland, Florida, 2015, recipients of their obedience, knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. How beautiful is that? So Paul encourages the Philippians. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with much fear and trembling. Live this mission in the fear of the Lord, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Guys, we have been invited into the mission of Jesus. Acts chapter 1-8 is not as much of a command as it is an invitation. An invitation to step into a mission that's full of highs and lows and super weird things in between where a fortune teller girl is saying that you're from God and that you have the way of salvation. What Paul is writing to the Philippians and what Christ is inviting us into is this incredible experience of living out his mission to work for his good pleasure. It gives God good pleasure when we obey him. He's already accepted us. He already loves us. That song we sang a few minutes ago, How He Loves, is so true. And it's true not because of our good works, but because of Jesus. Yet it gives God great pleasure when we are obedient to him. And you know what? It gives you and me great pleasure too. There is no fulfillment in this life that is found outside of doing God's will. But there is no doing God's will that will not fulfill us. You guys, we are being invited into something beautiful. He says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I wonder if he was thinking about some of those people that beat the tar out of him in Philippi. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation who instead of bowing to the God of the universe is bowing to Caesar who will live and die and be unremembered. A crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also rejoice with me. See, what Paul is saying is, Philippians, do you remember how I was beaten for your sake? It was worth it. Look at Jesus and be obedient to him. Live as lights in the world. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, go live as lights. 
This thing that we have here at Mosaic Church, it's a beautiful thing, but if it only is experienced here, man, we have fallen so short of God's beautiful invitation to us to join with him in the mission to be lights to the world. And it's not going to be easy. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit working within us to will and do for his good pleasure. You guys, we are being called like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were called into this journey of following Jesus and being lights into the world. We are being called into that. In your workplace, in your school, in your family life, you have the opportunity to proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel in and through every relationship that you have. And that's an invitation, not an obligation, an invitation. Mission is not always glorious, but sometimes it is. There's not always persecution, but sometimes it comes. But Jesus promised that he would always be with us. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Matthew account of the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God's inviting us into the mission. We need him. We need him to be with us. We need to engage with the Spirit. That's our only real work in this process is to engage with God and to allow him to use our lives to be lights to the world. Let's pray together tonight. God, we're so very grateful for you. God, that even this life that we've been given that we haven't, we haven't been given a life full of drudgery or, or obligation. But God, you have given us this life on this planet. And you've given us the invitation to glorify you with our lives. God, I pray that we would respond to that beautiful invitation here tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to identify whatever it is that is going on in our lives or in our world that, that would hinder our mission, that would seek to derail our mission. And I pray that just as Paul recognized that what was in that moment seeking to derail his mission was beyond flesh and blood, but it was a spiritual thing. God, I pray that we would engage in the power of the Holy Spirit in faithful prayer, desiring to be lights into the world, knowing that all things you are able to work for our good. No matter how victorious they feel or how hard they feel or how weird they feel, God, you are inviting us to play a part of redemption in this world. Your redemption to your people whom you have called. God, we, we recognize our need for you. We desire Jesus to take our cue from you. Though you were in every way and in every bit, in every bit of your nature, you were God, you are God. And yet you chose to put on human flesh to come for us. 
I pray, God, that we would embrace your invitation to join in that rescue mission. And that as we join, that you would receive all the glory and the honor and the praise from our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.